Audio sermons from Peachtree Christian Church. The Greatest Commandment When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question, What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Good morning. It is a blessing to be in worship together today. I did spend a little bit of time this week looking up jokes on lawyers, and I felt like instead of grasping on to the low-hanging fruit, uh, because some of my favorite people are lawyers, I would refrain and instead I would begin with the wise words from the 80s and 90s pop sensation Hathaway, what is love? Please join me in prayer. Eternal God, who has spoken in various times and in various ways to your people in the past, let your holy word fall afresh on our ears today. Open our hearts and expand our minds to ask the right questions and truly listen for your inspired answers. We have an example of perfect and unconditional love in you and ask that you send your Holy Spirit to us now Let the words of my mouth be glorifying to you and bless us as we worship you with hearts that are weary or broken, hearts that are hardened or hurt, hearts that are full of gratitude, and hearts that are curious or questioning. We bring our true selves before you today and thank you for your unconditional and freeing love. Amen. When I signed up to preach this text last Monday, my initial thought was easy peasy. Preaching on love, loving God, and loving our neighbor was a no-brainer. They're just core values of Christianity. Actually, from the scripture we just read, they aren't simply values, but commands. Love God, love people. My brain should have been flooded with illustrations and stories of love experienced and love shared. The power of love. It's a topic that we're all familiar with, albeit having vastly different definitions of what love is or isn't. I'll admit that preparing for this sermon has been a challenge because love means something different to everyone. Or maybe the definition isn't what's different, but the way in which we expect and express love is different. 
it comes as no surprise to us that our world is broken and hurting. We experience hate and tragedy in the form of mass shootings like the recent tragedy in Maine, death by suicide, illness, and much, much more. These are daily occurrences, and when loss is heavy in our minds and on our hearts, love can seem truly elusive. Grief is like a wave in the ocean that tosses us around until we feel like we're being pulled under. And love is the hand that reaches through the cold, salty, foamy water and holds on tightly until we reach the surface again. Repetition is often used to emphasize an important point or help commit an idea or action to memory. The Bible references the word love in one form or another because we know there are various forms of love, eros, agape, and so on. But the Bible references love more than 300 times. Some references say over 700 times. I didn't have time to count, so I'll trust Google on this one. Either way, the fact that love is mentioned over and over and over means God wants us to take note. Love is a priority. Love is the way. Love is healing and redeeming and forgiving. Scripture tells us in 1 John 4, 8, Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. We speak these words aloud every Sunday in our confession and assurance. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We say it each week because it's a challenge each week. It's difficult each week. We wrestle with this command every single day. Love God love people. Our Matthew 22 text opens with a lawyer posing a question to Jesus. The Greek word for lawyer in this text is nomikos, which suggests an unfriendly tone or approach. So we see this Pharisee testing Jesus with the anticipatory hope that Jesus will give the wrong or incorrect answer. So the, quest- the issue isn't the question itself. It's how the question is being delivered and the intent behind asking said question. Religious scholars then and now ask probing questions. We challenge one another with new ways of seeing the world and interpreting scripture because there is always more to learn about God. Jesus answers by quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, referred to as the Shema. The Shema is recited twice daily by the Jewish people as a declaration of faith in the one true God. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is an intimate and personal declaration. The Lord is our God. Love your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, or might. Reverend Richard Donovan says, 
It is not some abstract higher power that we worship, but our God, a God to whom we belong and who belongs to us, a God who acted in the past to save us and who continues to save us in the present, a God who created all is all in our splendid complexity and a God who knows every hair on our head. So what does it mean to love God whole lifedly, heart, soul, and mind? It isn't simply attending church on Sunday or being consistent in your Bible study group. It isn't simply doing service projects or being kind. It isn't just an emotion or a feeling of tenderness. Those are acts of love, and those are wonderful ways to show love. Love is a choice. Loving God requires commitment. Loving God means knowing God and pursuing Him. To love God is to be in relationship with Him. We must ask ourselves, are we ready for more? because there is always more when it comes to God. Last weekend, I had the opportunity to attend a spiritual retreat with women from all over the state. I didn't know anything about the weekend, and I didn't know any of the women. And this was pretty outside of my comfort zone because I am a super type A. I want to have a schedule and details and know exactly what kind of situation I'm getting myself into. And I didn't that weekend, so I felt nervous and anxious and unprepared. But I felt God calling me to a weekend of rest and renewal that my heart and my mind and my soul needed. So I went. And the women at the retreat were all carrying something incredibly heavy. I mean, feelings of failure and insignificance. Trouble loving ourselves trouble loving others, loss of a relationship or a loved one, addiction issues, and more. But we loved one another regardless of anything that the others could produce. The theme of the weekend was love God and love people, and it was all about God's unconditional agape kind of love. Someone said it may be the closest to living and worshiping like the ancient church that we might ever experience. It was full attention and focus. We had no distractions. And I wonder, I asked myself the question, are we showing more compassion and empathy and love for each other because we didn't know one another? Oftentimes we have a lot of judgments for those that we do know and that we do love. But we prayed together and we sang together, and we listened together. And all I know is, love patched many of the broken parts of us during those three days. I referenced agape love a few moments ago, and it means perfect or unconditional love. Agape love is the highest level of love referenced in the Bible. This form of love is everlasting, it's sacrificial, whether or not the giver receives the same level of love in return. In the original Greek translation of the scriptural passage, God is love, 
first John that I read earlier, the word agape is used here specifically to identify the type of love that our God embodies. Agape is used in, by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 to describe perfect love. You've likely heard it read at every wedding you've ever attended. Love is patient. Love is kind. If you haven't read it, check it out. It's good stuff. Our understanding of how to love God, ourselves, and others should come directly from Scripture. If we want to experience love in its purest and most robust form. We create our idea of what love is by allowing our thoughts to be molded by what the world tells us love is and how we can get it. Fairy tales shape the way we view love. We want the perfect partner to say all the right things and read our minds and be our everything all the time. That's not healthy. If you've had to earn someone's love, I'm sorry. That's not love. Books and movies and our friends influence our understanding of love, certainly. Our families, for better or worse, definitely shape our understanding of love. Unconditional love is loving someone no matter what and without expectation of anything in return. We love because he first loved us. To be clear, the scriptural understanding of love does not permit abusive behavior, so understand that abuse in any form is wrong and is not the product of any type of love. If you love me, then you'll do this. Uh-uh. Unconditional love is the love that draws us near to the God of creation. Before we even knew it, God loved us. Can you imagine? Before you were born, you were loved. In every misstep, you are loved. In every loss and every heartache, you are loved. Your value and purpose are not defined by what you can or cannot produce. You are a beloved child of God. God loves us on our mountaintops and in the valleys. God loves us in our brokenness and in our healing. Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Love God, love people. How then do we take what we know of God's perfect love and love our neighbors as ourselves? This is a place where the church needs to be challenged. How are we, as the body of Christ, loving our neighbor? We let our desire for decorum get in the way of welcoming everyone into the love of Christ. Hospitality is just one way of showing love. And that means accepting people and inviting them, come as you are. We all want to belong and sometimes in an effort to make space for ourselves, it means that we push someone else out. Instead of treating the wounds, we often find ourselves making more of them. Loving people can be such a challenge. Trust me, I know. I'm speaking for myself. I know how difficult it can be. Love God, love people. Easy to preach, often not easy to do. 
G.K. Chesterton said, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people. You may agree or disagree with the notion that there are many gray areas in scripture. There are mysteries and there are portions of scripture that lend themselves to a more open interpretation. Loving God and loving our neighbors is not one of the gray areas. These two commandments are clear, they are concise, and they are convicting. If it isn't enough for us to read Matthew 22 and know our calling to love others, let's take a look at some other known scriptures. First Peter 4, above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. And 1 John 3, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. Loving our neighbor is not passive. Martin Luther King Jr. posed the question. The first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? Simply quoting scripture or theologians or Christian leaders will not change hearts. If you're struggling to love someone right now, I get it. But I'll tell you a little secret to help Take the pressure off. Loving people back to wholeness is a mighty act of the Holy Spirit, and it can be experienced through our relationships with one another. You can't make a flower grow, but you can plant a seed. And you may never see the fruits of your labor, but that is the price we pay for extending unconditional love. In fact, extending unconditional love to all of humankind and creation is the most important and impactful gift a Christian can give. Our story began with a question and we'll close with a question. Jesus challenges the Pharisees with a question to lead them to the conclusion that he is in fact the Messiah. He is the son of David, son of man, king of kings, love incarnate. His question is so perfectly delivered in both word and tone, that it says no one dared to ask him any more questions. I urge you, dare to ask questions and ask the hard ones. Am I loving God with my entire being? Do I love myself? Is there room for growth in the way of loving my neighbor? And maybe together we can answer the question, what will happen if the church doesn't respond to the world with love? Or what will happen when we do? Amen.